Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, would you? Hebrews, I'm, char- I'm sorry, I just, I just made a huge leap in our study. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Sorry, we're not in chapter 10 yet. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. We'll be there in a moment, but you you can recall with me this, that on May 2nd, 2011, the world received news that, that a man by the name of Osama bin Laden had been killed. One news source reports that bin Laden's killing was generally favorably received by U.S. public opinion, was welcomed by the United Nations, NATO, the European Union, and a large number of governments. In other words, many believe that justice, this is me saying this, in other words, many believe that justice had been served in the killing of the founder of the organization responsible for those terrorist attacks on the United States of America on September 11th in 2001. Many say that justice had been served. Many said it was fitting that he die. Now, I want you to think about someone else. This person... I don't have this person's name, but you do. Think about a person who is the warmest, the warmest person, the kindest person, the friendliest, most caring, most giving, most generous person you know. Think of that person. And what if I were to tell you that it would be fitting for that person to die? You would you would want to have my head examined, right? You would say, what in the world? How in the world could you possibly say that? How could you think that? You don't know this person. This person should not die. It would not be fitting that they die. But this is exactly what our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 2 says about Jesus. That it was fitting that he die. We're going to see that in a moment. But as we noted last week, this world is not how, as it is now, it is not how God intended it to be. This world, as we saw last time, has great problems. The great problem of this world is man's sin. Man's sin means that mankind lost what God intended for him at creation. Man's sin meant that he lost that privilege and would not rule over creation. You see, God intended for mankind to rule along with him over all creation. He says in Genesis, subdue it, right? Rule over it and subdue it. But man's sin meant that he lost that privilege and he would no longer rule over it, but in fact he would labor in it. And great would be and great is our labor. Right in this world. This would all remain very troubling for us if we stopped there, right? If we didn't read Hebrews. This would be very troubling for us if we knew that truth that we, that we lost what God intended for us at, at Genesis 3 and just stopped there. But we're not stopping there. 
we come to Hebrews, don't we? We've been seeing in Hebrews that God has an answer to man's sin problem. And that, that answer has a name, and that name is Jesus. Our last time together here in Hebrews 2, when we came to verse 9, we were reminded that God has an answer to that great problem of man's sin, and verse 9 pointed us back to that name, Jesus, once again saying, but we see him. Look at verse 9 again. We saw it last time. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So we come to this passage, and if if it weren't for God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of grace of whom we just sang, right? Amazing wonder we just sang. If it weren't for the God of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ showing us His grace, there would certainly be no hope. But that's why verse 9 reminds us that there is hope. Reminds us of the hope that we do have. Even as we live in this fallen, sin-cursed world, we see Jesus. And so we can praise God, and there is hope that we have the one, that's Jesus, whom we can look to with faith and be saved, the one with whom we will one day reign as God intended. And now we see Jesus through the eyes of faith. And because of our our eternity being secure in Christ, there is hope, encouragement, also is ours. Help is ours for living in the here and now, in fact. God does not leave us without hope for the here and now. We have eternal hope, and we always sing of that, don't we? But we have hope for the here and now as well through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, God's final word to mankind, that's what we learn in chapter 1, that Jesus is God's final word, God's final answer to mankind. Final answer to man's sin problem. God's final word is how God answers the problem of our sin, and Jesus is how God repairs the damage done by man's sin. And we see him, as verse 9 says. We see God's answer to our sin problem. Through faith we see him. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that by God's grace Jesus might taste death for everyone And lest we think he just sampled it, that's not what it means. He was not a taste tester of death. When it says that he tasted death, it means he fully experienced it. That English word doesn't do justice to the original language that it's translated from. It means that he fully experienced what it was to suffer and die. That is why he had to take on human flesh, so that he could fully experience what it was to suffer and die as a man. And for that we should praise God. And if you have not trusted in Christ, you should. You should put your faith in Christ. If you have not given your faith, your heart, your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, recognizing what he has done for you in Calvary, you should. Because if you trust in Jesus, you will be saved from the punishment that you deserve for your sins. And don't hear me wrong. Every person in this room deserves punishment for their sins. 
But every person who's put their faith in Christ is snatched from that punishment and given eternal life because of Jesus Christ. Because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not on any account of what any of us have done. It's only through faith in Christ. You should if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ. And you can do that right now. And I would suggest you don't wait until I'm done preaching this message. Now we come to verse 10 this morning. And we see that there's another reason Jesus came. There's another problem that the coming of Jesus solves, praise God. We see it in the text of verse 10. And if you get the emails that we send out, you saw in the email that I said, read verses 10 through 13. (laughs) And I was studying verses 10 through 13 this week, and I was fully intending to preach on verses 10 through 13, but I couldn't even get out of verse 10. All right? And and so bear with me, because I think it'll be worth staying here today. Look with me in your copy of God's Word as we read verse 10. I'll read. You follow along. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I'm not even going to get out of verse 10 this morning. There is actually a lot to think about here. And it's all good. Praise God. Everything was perfect at creation. Remember we talked about that last time? Everything was perfect at the garden, the way God made it. Remember remember at creation, you read in Genesis when God creates, and when he's finished, he says, and it was good. (laughs) Right? He could have said, and it is perfect. Perfect. Listen, if God says it's good, (laughs) that's, that's really good. And it was. Everything was perfect at creation. God had given man dominion over the earth. God had made man to rule over it all. But not only did man lose his dominion over the earth when Adam sinned in the garden, but mankind also lost something else that was very precious. You see, God intended at creation for there to be fellowship between God and man. Think of it. Fellowship. Sweet communion between God and man. In fact, you can see it in Genesis. In fact, man's sin broke that union, broke that fellowship with God the way God intended it. Man's sin, man's sin put a wall between God and man and broke that fellowship that God intended for them to have. And if you were to go to chapter 3 of Genesis, I'm not sending you there, but you can read it this afternoon. You probably know it. You know the story. You can see it in Genesis 3 that after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do when they heard God walking in the garden? They hid themselves. They lost the sweet communion that they had with God, that God gave them a creation. We tend to think that that it was... A terrible thing that they sinned, and it was, but it was a terrible thing they lost. It was a terribly good thing they lost. Fellowship with God? 
Remember, as we heard here in Hebrews, God provides the answer to this problem, this problem created by man's sin, and we praise God for that. And again, the answer is in, in that name, right? Jesus, we see, verse 9, we see him. God's final answer, Jesus, who is better than the angels, don't ever get that wrong. The, the angels serve and worship Jesus. It is not the other way around. They are created beings. Jesus is not. God's final answer, Jesus, who is far better than the angels, Jesus, whom the angels serve and worship, and this Jesus is also the answer to our broken fellowship with God. Praise God. He's given us a way to have our fellowship with Him restored. And that's why it says here in verse 10 that it was fitting that Jesus suffer and die. You see, some in the day this was written were thinking that Jesus' death could never have been a victory. There are those who say that still. Jesus' death? Are you kidding me? He was a man. He died. The Bible says it. He was crucified. He died. There were those who were unbelieving Jews who were challenging faith in Jesus Christ, arguing that Jesus could not have been the Messiah because he died. They were awaiting a Messiah who would bring victory over their enemies. They did not want to see a Messiah who suffered and died. They wanted to see a conquering hero, a victorious king. They would argue that Jesus wasn't even a hero in his death because we can say sometimes as, as someone gives their life and they die, we say, what a hero, right? Well, they wouldn't even have said that about Jesus because they looked at him and said he was a common criminal the way that he was treated and crucified. But God's word comes along and says, oh no, not so fast. In fact, it is just the opposite. Jesus is, in fact, victorious in his suffering and death. It is why. In some of our hymns and songs and choruses, you hear of the death of Jesus Christ so often, the shed blood of Jesus Christ so often. If you didn't understand the word of God, you might think that we're a gory group, you know, singing about death and blood all the time. But Jesus... The sacrifice for our sins shed his blood for us. And Jesus is, in fact, victorious in his death, in his suffering. But they and, and we ask, what could possibly be accomplished by Jesus' suffering? I want you to see just a few things here. Not all of them in verse 10, just a few this morning in the, in the few moments we have left. Here's what this suffering of Christ accomplishes, says the writer of Hebrews at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we don't know who the author is, the, the human author, but we know who the divine author is, right? God's word is inspired by God, where he moved through human authors to pen the words that he wanted them to write for us. We read it this morning when I read that scripture in, in Romans 15. God's word is given for our encouragement, for our instruction by God. Some of, some of the human authors whom God inspired, we know. This one we don't. 
But verse 10 shows us that it is God's purpose and plan being fulfilled through the suffering of Christ when it says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist. That reminds us of this truth, that the suffering and death of Jesus fulfills God's plan. Don't ever forget that. Don't let anyone tell you. How could, how could Jesus' suffering and death be a good thing? The answer is it fulfilled God's plan. It's not the only answer, but it's one of the many very good and true answers. It fulfills God's plan. That's verse 10. It's showing us that, that it is God's purpose and plan being fulfilled through the suffering of Christ. Look at verse 10 again. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom All things exist. So there's this reminder. All things exist through and for God. Why? For his glory. For his glory. Romans 11 and verse 36 says of God. Romans 11 and verse 36. For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. It's talking about God. And yes, the suffering of God the Son is also for God's glory. See, everything exists to glorify God. And yes, that includes the suffering of God the Son. The fulfillment of his plan and purpose in the sacrifice of Christ is for God's glory. Do not look at it as a shame on God or or scourge on God. It's not like God walked away from the crucifixion disappointed. It is accomplishing his purposes. It is why we rejoice when we come together at the Lord's Supper and we have the bread and the cup as symbols of God's shed shed blood, the, the Lord Jesus Christ shed blood and his broken body. Those are solemn reminders to us of what Jesus Christ went through to accomplish our salvation. That's why verse 10 says, for it was fitting that Jesus suffer. It is fitting because it is according to God's plan and for his glory. God's word reminds us, yes, evil man crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was God's plan. It's fitting because it fulfills God's plan to deal a death blow to man's sin. Think of it. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, it is fitting because God's plan requires that God the Son suffer and die to put to death Sin and hell and the grave and death. You see, he put to death, death. (laughs) Commentator Leon Morris says of verse 10 that it shows that the sufferings of Jesus did not take place by chance. They did not. You see, the suffering of Jesus has its place in God's great eternal purpose, and we praise him for that. So the suffering of Jesus accomplished God's purpose and was for God's glory, is for God's glory. But just what 
What does Jesus accomplish for mankind by suffering and dying? What could Jesus' suffering and death possibly accomplish? There's so much. But look with me again at verse 10. And note this. Note that it brings many sons to glory. There it is in verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, says verse 10. You see, the suffering of Christ accomplishes what man cannot accomplish without him. Go ahead. Disbelieve in Christ and take yourself to heaven. You cannot. Disbelieve in Christ and forgive yourself of your sins. You cannot. You see, bringing many sons to glory, says verse 10, and this is not earthly glory, but heavenly glory. This was God's plan. Sending His Son to suffer and die. To bring many sons to glory. Not earthly glory, because all the glory on earth is nothing compared to the eternal glory of heaven. Men may make much of one another here on earth, but sooner or later we die or we lose our contract. Right? You think of sporting heroes. You know, we, we call our sporting what do we call them? We can't, I can't even think of a word besides hero. We look at these sporting legends, you know, and we say, what a hero. It's like, well, they're getting paid millions of dollars to perform, okay? And they happen to be really good at it. If I was that good, they'd pay me millions of dollars to do it too, right? We have these earthly heroes, but then they, they seem to fall, don't they? They're made of flesh and blood like we are. Or they die and are soon forgotten. Like, I hate to tell you, you will be when you die. <laughs> you see, men may make much of one another here on earth, but sooner or later we all die. And, and are soon thereafter after forgotten. And then all that earthly glory that, that was given by men means nothing. The glory you need... The glory you should look forward to and pursue is the glory that God gives you in heaven, in eternity. There is nothing that compares. All the earthly glory that you could amass on earth means nothing compared to what awaits the believer in Christ in the glorious presence of God in, in your eternal home that he is preparing for you. So it brings many sons to glory, the suffering of Jesus Christ. But note thirdly, note too, that those who trust in Christ are made sons. In bringing many sons to glory. Who will enjoy God's glory in heaven? Those whom God calls sons or can I, can I tell you, it means this, it means daughters and sons, in case you ladies were thinking, am I, am I not included here? Uh, when you see sons in God's word, typically, when you see sons here, realize it means male or female, all who believe in Christ. It's not being male chauvinistic, it's, way, it's the way that the word is written. It's the way God wrote it, right? And through faith in Christ, all who put their faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, you are adopted into God's family and made a son or a daughter of God. Think of that. 
Now, some of us would like to be adopted into wealthy families. I'm up for adoption. Okay. Right? We, we think, well, that would be great to be adopted into a wealthy family that would give you more than what you ever could dream of. But there's nothing in comparison to being adopted into the family of God. I'm so glad. Right? Didn't, didn't we sing that this morning? Yeah, we did. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I hope you don't take that lightly. That's not something to be taken lightly. For one thing, you shouldn't be singing it if you're not a believer. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. You're not a part of God's family. You are not adopted into the family of God. That is a terrible place to be. Don't, Don't stay there. Put your faith in Christ. And you'll be saved and adopted. It's not a process. It's like that. I trust in Jesus Christ. God knows your heart. If you humble yourself before him, say, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe in Jesus to save me and forgive my sins. Adopted. God's. God's family. Born again to new life in Christ. Praise God, right? In bringing many sons. Now that's really something to look forward to, to to see the rest of the family. You like getting together at family reunions? Maybe you don't. (laughs) Listen, there may be family reunions on earth that you do not want to go to. This is not one you want to miss. To dwell in the presence of our glorious Lord as daughters and sons for all eternity will be wonderful. I'm thinking of my kids know the song. You probably don't. I'm sorry, but I've heard my kids play it. There's, I wish I could remember the lyrics, but I'm thinking of the song. My, the, my God has a big, big house <laughs> with many, many rooms. It's a big, big house, right? It's a fun song if you'll, if you'll listen to it sometime. It reminds you of what awaits you in eternity. I can't wait to see the rest of the family. How about you? Later in Hebrews, we're going to hear that there are also present benefits. So be careful that we're not just stuck thinking eternal reward because, because there are present benefits. I do want you to think about eternal things, okay? I want you to live realizing that your eternal destiny is secure because your faith is in Christ, if that's true of you. But later in Hebrews, we're going to hear that there are also present benefits to being adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. We hear this, we're going to hear this later in in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? Okay, remember, sons means, means male and female, all who are in Christ. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are 
illegitimate children and not sons. And you're at this point, you're going, Pastor, I thought you said there were benefits. <laughs> That's because uh, you're, you're not hearing the benefit because you hear the discipline word so many times, like I read it, as a negative. And it is not. That passage makes it clear. It's not. It's a positive. It is a blessing. How precious to know that through faith in Christ, God calls you his son. Just think of it. Why does a loving father discipline his children? And be careful you don't say, because they've been bad. (laughs) Mm -mm. Why does a loving father discipline his children? It's what my dad would always say when he spanked me. I think I'm okay from that. I survived. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if done properly, okay? Well, listen to those who say, don't spank your children. They'll be twisted. Of course, you might think I'm really damaged. So that's my opinion. I'm okay. But what did my dad say? Your dad said it too. I'm doing this because I love you. It hurts me more than it hurts you, right? And you were going, yeah, right. This is really hurtful. Give me the paddle. We'll see how much it hurts, you know. But really, why does a loving father discipline his children? Not because primarily because they've been bad. I discipline my children when they when they do wrong. But it's not why I'm disciplining them. If I didn't love them, I wouldn't. I wouldn't discipline them. I would say, whatever. Take $10 and go away. And that sounds funny, but some parents do that. You see, what does a godly, loving father do to discipline his children? Why does he do it? Not primarily because they've been bad. He disciplines them primarily because he loves them. We often think of discipline in a negative way, don't we? We think of discipline as being a a negative, not a positive. But discipline isn't always, or even mainly, for the wrong that we've done. Sometimes God disciplines because we've done wrong. But sometimes God disciplines because he knows we need it to become the people he wants us to be that will give him glory and become more like his son. Sometimes God gives discipline when we're doing right. Understand this. That passage that I just read from from later in Hebrews is not about necessarily doing what's wrong. It's because of who we are. If you are a child of God, one of the ways that you you know that you are legitimately adopted into God's family is that he disciplines you. He doesn't want you to stay the way you were before Christ. And you will not change overnight, so he disciplines, loving discipline. And though his hand seems pretty firm at times, he never gives us something we don't desperately need. You see, a godly parent trains and encourages and teaches and lays out standards of conduct and holds their child accountable for not only the conduct that they require, but also the attitude, the inward attitude and the outward attitude. We've always said that to our children. You can be obeying on the outside and disobeying on the inside. And sometimes your face will show it. And if I see it on your face... I'm not saying hide it necessarily, but if I see the wrong attitude with the right actions, I'm going to have to do something about it. 
because that does not please me, but more importantly, it does not please God. And adults, we can be the same way or worse. We are so good at looking good, right? Doing the right things on the outside while on the inside, wrong attitude. And that's our loving Heavenly Father because He calls us sons. What a wonderful thing to be loved by God so much that He's not satisfied to leave us as we are, to leave us as sinners. He sends Jesus the final answer. And he calls us sons. For all who place their faith in Christ are made sons of God. He is disciplining those whom he calls his children. And he calls them his children because they put their faith in his son. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Do you see now just a few, just a few examples here from verse 10? But do you see now? Why it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Praise God, he did. And we haven't even touched on those other two wonderful truths in verse 10, that Jesus is the founder of salvation and made perfect through suffering. That's something to think about this week. Read the word. Read Hebrews, read chapter 2. Think about some of these truths and let God raise questions in your mind that you want answers to. And then ask God to help you listen to his word as this, these feeble lips say what I think God wants me to say about the truths of the scriptures. And Lord willing, we'll look at those truths next time. But what wonderful truths we have today, praise God, to live by. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you. What a good and gracious and loving God that you would call us sons, that you would adopt us into your family through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would send Jesus, that you would say that it was fitting that he suffer and die. We praise you. Oh God, help us to praise you with our lives. May we leave this place today with renewed strength, renewed encouragement, renewed vigor through faith in Christ because of the indwelling presence and work of the Holy Spirit and because you've given us your word and the privilege of talking to you and humbling ourselves before you in prayer. Would you take us from this place with, with a second wind that we would go out and live in this world as sons, sons and daughters of God who has been so gracious to us. Oh, God, help us to show some of that grace to others. Help us to share the love of Christ with others as we live for Christ in their midst and we speak of Christ and praise you for your goodness toward us through Christ to them that they might see him and be saved. Oh, Lord, Help us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.